0: This episode is sponsored by Hire.com. hire.com is offering a new freelancing and contracting offering. They have multiple companies that will provide you with contract opportunities. They cover all the tracking, reporting, and billing for you. They handle all the collections and pre-fund your paycheck. They offer legal, accounting, and tax support. And they'll give you $1,000 when you've been on a contract for 90 days. But with this link, they'll double it to $2,000 instead. Go sign up at Hire.com slash Show. If you're someone who runs your own service-based business, then spending less time on pesky admin tasks means having more time to focus on your client's work, which is why you need to give FreshBooks a try. FreshBooks is the invoicing solution that makes it incredibly simple to create and send invoices, track your time, and manage your expenses. It allows you to quickly see and track the status of your invoices, expenses, and projects, and allows you to keep track of your expense receipts in FreshBooks. For your free 30-day trial, go to freshbooks.com freelancers and enter The Freelancer Show in the How Did You Hear About Us section when signing up. This episode is sponsored by Nerd.us. Do you wish that somebody else would handle all of those operation details when it comes to hosting your client's web applications? Nerd.us is a Ruby on Rails managed hosting designed to make your life easy. They migrate everything for you, and new signups or referrals come with a $100 discount or referral fee. To sign up, go to freelancershow.com slash nerd. That's freelancershow.com slash N-I-R-D. And enter freelancer into the contact form for a discount. This week's episode of The Freelancer Show is brought to you by Earth Class Mail. Earth Class Mail moves your stale mail into the cloud, giving you instant access 24-7 and integrates with the tools and services you use every day. It's crazy that we've moved everything we do for the business over to the digital world, but still need to pick up, sort, and manage physical mail. With Mail, you can get all of your mail scanned and accessible online 24-7. You can search your mail, send invoices over to your accounting software, sync important documents into cloud storage, deposit checks, and really just make running your business a whole lot easier. you also get real professional address to share publicly with customers, business partners, and investors. And you'll never need to worry about someone showing up at your door if you run your business from home. Visit freelancershow.com slash mail, and you'll get your first month of service free when you sign up. That's freelancershow.com slash mail. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 201 of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Ruben Lerner. Hi, everyone. Jonathan Stark. Hello. Philip Morgan. Hey, hey. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Got a few conferences coming up. You can check them out at allremotecomps.com. Uh We also have a special guest this week, and that is Brennan Dunn. Hey, thank you, Chuck. You haven't been on the show for a while. Do you want to remind people who you are? Yeah. So I think
1: the last time that I was here, I was the founder of PlanScope and I also had a little blog and a few courses on freelancing and consulting. But since then, I've actually sold PlanScope. So I'm officially out
0: of the software. Oh,
1: wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You didn't. Yeah. I sold it about a month and a half ago.
0: And I mean, now apparently, I've, I don't follow your Twitter account as closely as I should.
1: Right? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it was one of those things I, if you follow Nathan Barry's story, we kind of both, you know, he went down the software route, I went down the training route, we both kind of started doing this stuff at the same time. And yeah, so we, there was this kind of divergence. But no, I, I just I realized I couldn't run a SaaS while doing everything else. You know, about a year and a half ago, I moved everything off of the PlanScope blog and all these various single page domains and put it all under DoubleYourFreelancing.com. So that's uh that's my main website now. It's kind of a blog slash podcast slash number of courses and uh yeah, that's what I'm working on. That's and a conference. I can I can now officially say conference too. Yeah, forgot about that.
0: <laughs> I thought you were gonna tell me how much better my life would be if I was hanging on every word that comes up across your Twitter. Account. No. <laughs> I, I try not to be that arrogant. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so what we brought you on today to talk about is road mapping. Which, interestingly enough, you just sold PlanScope. So, yes, yes. I, I'm curious just to start off the conversation. You know, I, I think people have a general idea of what road mapping is, but one question that came to mind when I was thinking about it was, what is the difference between road mapping and estimating?
1: Okay, so the difference is road mapping, in a nutshell, is a standalone product that you sell prior to a full-blown consulting engagement, fixed priced generally fixed scope. And it's more or less a top consulting gig that does have a deliverable, but it is, you know, it's not an estimate in the, in the sense that it's not really, it's not like getting a roof estimate or something. It's, it's actually consultative. You're there to learn about a raw problem and come up with the best plan of action to get to a solution.
0: That makes sense. So you're talking about road mapping as an actual product, not as, oh, how do I figure out how long this is going to take? That's right. Yeah, I mean, that happens in it, but it, it or
1: it should. But no, it, it's just, it's an actual product, and there's a lot of reasons why it is, which I guess we'll talk about.
0: I can now hear all the objections, right? But if, if I make them pay me up front for something that isn't the actual end result that they want, then
1: nobody's going to hire me. Actually, what happens is usually the, the opposite. You'll get more clients, and you'll get actually... More clients at a higher rate or a higher price point than you would otherwise, typically. Interesting. Why is that? Okay. Mind if I give you a quick why I started roadmapping in my own agency about five-ish years ago? Yeah. So, okay. So I had a full-time business development person, and we were getting a lot of leads. And I think at the time we were nine-ish employees or so. And the problem was my business development guy was non-technical. So he was kind of like a qualifier. After we realized somebody wasn't wanting a $500 YouTube clone, go up the chain (laughs) to me. And then we do kind of scoping and we'd spend a good amount of time, you know, scoping out the project, which just meant, you know, a lot of a lot of our clients were non-technical. So they didn't really they didn't have any experience building what we did, which is custom software. So we would sit down with them and kind of talk high level about their project and figure out what they need to get done. And we'd, we'd listen to any kind of, you know, usually they'd have somebody in their head about what it should look like, how it should function and such. But we would then come in and give them Maybe contrary advice. And then we would do the usual proposal writing thing. And oftentimes what I'd end up doing is pulling somebody, one of my team members off a billable project to spend a few hours, you know, building out a, uh, an estimate. And, you know, it was getting to the point where we were doing this so often that, you know, we were spending upwards 15 ish, 20 hours, sometimes a week on time that could be billed for that we weren't getting paid for. So, um, granted, we were charging for the week at that time, too. But it was still time that we could have been making forward progress on projects. So we ended up... I actually got the idea from Pivotal Labs out in San Francisco. The difference is is they did something like this, and they, they charged for it, but it was something that happened after they already closed the deal on the big project. So this is kind of like... It was a mandatory, kind of like an onboarding step, I guess, of a new client. But what we ended up doing instead was making it a standalone project or a standalone product that we would sell or standalone service, I guess, that we would sell to somebody before they've committed to the project they actually came to us for in the beginning. And we did it because we were real- realizing we were getting a lot of clients who You know, they they had an idea of what they wanted, but they didn't really know what they wanted. And they didn't always have the budget that they needed to do it. And, you know, it was just getting... I've never run into that. Yeah. I mean, it never happens, right? (laughs) But no, I mean, it was getting to the point where we don't want to have a portfolio full of 404 links because the the client had some crap idea or ended up running out of money, money midway through or whatever else. And a lot of the time, I mean, if we don't have... Like, we're incentivized to close the deal when we're doing an estimate. So... Oftentimes, that might lead to kind of very – that's the word I'm looking for. Optimistic. Optimistic, yes. That's a good way to put it again. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and on top of that, it would end Utterly up – Utterly false know, would be another way to put it, I guess. Yeah, but I mean, it, it's great to, to <laughs> give the client what they want and you know, work as an order taker, and then everything's nice and you know, great. And then you get to the 11th hour on a project, and everything explodes, and they're pissed at you. And you know, it's just a lot of stuff that could have been done differently at the beginning, which we weren't so anyway – We started uh,
0: you. You you give them exactly what they want, and it's still all your fault.
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's that's the thing, right? I mean, how many of us have done technically correct projects that were actually failures? Yeah. So anyway, we started mandating this, and at first, we were kind of like, "Ah, no one's going to pay for this." So we would do things like charge for it, but then turn it into a credit that if they hire us afterward, it you know they can use the money they spent toward their new project because we wanted a way to just kind of really qualify people, I guess, is a good way of putting it and really make sure that this is a sound idea that can be completed and built and, you know, and so on. So we went down that path and then, you know, eventually we got to the point where we didn't offer credits anymore, became a really standalone product in its own right. And lo and behold, we got more conversions from leads and it also allowed us really, that's around when our pricing started to skyrocket. And it's because a lot of the resistance to pricing has to do with perceived risk. And if you can offer something kind of lower risk upfront, like a, you know, one day session, and that's not a lot of money compared to the full project, it helps assuage a lot of that risk.
0: So I guess the, the trick is, though, is that it seems like if people are paying just for the onboarding or just for the road the roadmapping, I, I guess the concern is that you're going to, you know, some people are going to say, well, I'm not paying for that. And so uh, I guess what you're saying is, is that you're going to get a higher quality uh, set of clients out of it because the ones that do opt in for it are going to be the ones that are going to pay more and be more responsive and you can make them feel better about the project.
1: Well, there's, there's also an educational component to it. I mean, if you treat it as a paid estimate, you're going to get resistance. But if you treat it as something that is, I mean, every if you go to any of these enterprise consulting firms, they all do some sort of. Equivalent of this, usually with very, very, very big price tags and probably a longer, you know, they'll have like, you look at a lot of these big design firms, they'll have a discovery phase, which is, you know, phase one, and then they'll get into design and then development or something like that. And all we're doing here with roadmapping is we're kind of extracting out that discovery phase and front-loading it as a standalone, independently valuable product in its own right. Yeah. I mean, w- what you're really doing is the the kind of the, the pitch, I guess, the, the one sentence pitch would be. You know, if you want to get and we all know this, if you want to get to if you're in L.A. and you want to get to New York, you're not just going to drive east like that would be you're going to waste a lot of fuel. You're probably going to hit a lot of like, you know, you're going to make mistakes and what road mapping does. And it's not some people think of it as kind of like getting into like waterfall development or something like that. But it's really just a way to have an idea of where you're going, making sure that what you end up doing can actually yield a return on investment for the client. I do, you know, I present it as that. I I tell the clients, my clients, I don't want to accept a project if I don't know that I can actually make it worthwhile for them. So this is one way that we can really get on the same wavelength. Because, I mean, let's face it, we've all consulted for a while, you know, all of us here. And, you know, I've, I've been in situations where when we're estimating something, the client says, yeah, we want users to be able to join groups. And we're like, okay, yeah, that's a join record between users and groups. We'll do that. And then we get into the project and they're like, yeah, well, we want it like LinkedIn where you can have moderation cues and you have like a group leader who sees this page where it's all the requests and they can individually communicate with each request and blah, blah, you know, I mean, they're, they're wanting a Lamborghini. You've quoted a Camry, which, you know, that can be very problematic, right? So it's really just a way to protect the client and, and really help them figure out. You know, if what is the goal we're looking to get toward? What is the problem we're here to solve? How can we consult with you to come up with the best path to get there? The shortest, most economic, least risk path of getting there. And um, yeah, I mean, that that's I guess that's it in a nutshell.
2: So Brian, you're saying that basically someone would come to your agency and they would say, We want to do, I don't know, you know, a social network for people who love bananas. I don't know. Sure. Yes. How much yeah? And they'll say, We've already gotten estimates from a few other agencies and we'd like you to be in on this also and get an estimate from you. And you would say to them, Listen, we we can't just give you an estimate because you know, we don't know and and we have this thing we do road mapping, and then we'll be able to not only give you a really good estimate, but even if we don't work on this, you'll have this product that someone else can use. It's part of correct, yeah. And you're saying that basically enough clients bought this literally that it was, it turned out to be a worthwhile
1: business venture. Oh, significantly. I mean, this was, this was something where when we explained why we did it, I mean, I mean, it's, it's like with anything. A lot of people are like, how can you justify charging clients weekly instead of hourly? And it's like, well, if you explain to them what the benefit for them is, it's different. I mean, if if it's all about, if it's all you focused, it's, you know, you're not going to have a a lot of luck, but you know, the benefit for them is that you don't want to, you don't want to put them in the position where they're going into something blind that has a high risk of failure, because let's face it, new projects all have a very high risk of failure, typically. And what my job is, is to, as you know, in, in terms of having this relationship with a client, my job is to protect them that could be protecting them from the wrong scope. So that's what we're here to do is we're trying to figure out exactly what are we going to build? Why are we building it? How is this path forward is the best way to get to the end goal? And um, what are the risks that we have? I mean, you know, the, the more you... You need to explain it as, you know, as a consultant. And I think a lot of people are kind of nervous about this because we're generally technical and we're not comfortable talking business or a lot of us aren't. So, you know, there's a lot of, there's some pushback, but, you know, when you explain it to a business owner, they're typically, in my experience with this and the experience of a lot of people I've talked to, they're pretty on board with it once you explain why you do it. And
2: those who push back and say, and say basically, what you want me to pay for an estimate? My impression is you would say, well, those are probably people you wouldn't want to have as clients anyway or who wouldn't go with you anyway.
1: Well, I'm not charging them for me to tell them how long it'll take. I mean, what I'm doing is I'm helping them actually design the overall project, right? I mean, I'm, I'm there to help them see exactly what needs to get done, why does it need to get done, how is this the best way to get it done. It's more than just saying, okay, I'm an order taker. I'm going to tell you how long it's going to take for you to do each thing that you're requesting. Mm-hmm.
0: So let me troll you for a minute. Like waterfall development. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yes. a degree. Um, But
1: not in the sense of Gantt charts get developed and uh, you've got like, you know, very specific stuff. It's really just a way to see, you know, I mean, we've all been there. I mean, we've all been on projects where, you know, sometimes the clients are maybe like they're serial entrepreneurs and they've done this for a while and they have a little more experience than most. But Oftentimes, at least my experience, these are people that are, you know, they, they have a business goal and they think, you know, in our case, software can help them achieve that business goal. But they don't really they think they know what it, it's going to take. But, you know, when we can come in and we can say, look, before you spend a lot of money and a lot of time on a project that has that could fail, that could not have a, you know, that, that, that could end up being the wrong project. What we want to do is we want to help you protect yourself by making sure that there's I mean, uh, some, I mean. Some people when they do road mapping, they do market research, they do um a lot of different things. I mean there's no real one one formula for this. It's really just a way to really understand what's the business goal and how how confident are we of reaching it and if we're not confident going into this, how can we be significantly more confident going out of it
0: so you said I don't remember what what you said didn't go into it how long it takes to, you know you don't put that in there so what do you put in there? I mean, what, what goes into it? Do you give technology recommendations? Do you, you know, we've talked about other proposals where you put like the risks in it and things like that. I mean, what, what are you looking at here? So
1: my, okay. So the, the formula that I use when I've done it is I, you know, we kick off a meeting and we talk purely about the business goals. So let's talk about, okay, who say we're building the cat or not the cat, the banana social network, right? So let's this talk sounds about
0: really familiar, doesn't it, Jonathan? Banana book, <laughs> <laughs> not banana book, but talking about the, the business goals. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I mean, it's why
1: is this a business? What is the you know, how do you how do you intend to actually make this a worthwhile endeavor? What's success for you? What's failure for you? Who are you selling to? Who's the users? You know, and so on. So that would be kind of the the opening, I guess. And then the next thing we would jump into is risks. And this is where it kind of got fun. Like if we had uh, a few people on our team and maybe a few on the client's team, we would get Hershey kisses and, um, each person would get three Hershey kisses. So you get three <laughs> votes. Yum. Oh. And then, uh, <laughs> and then everyone, it's, if you've done any sort of like retrospective stuff, you know how you, you come up with these things, right? So, and you write them on a three by five card. So we would, each person would write down risks that they, they feel going into the project. So maybe they know something about the, the client's the timeline they want. So maybe that's a risk based off what they know so far about the project. Or maybe a risk is they want to integrate with this weird third-party API that, you know, is untested or something like that. That could be a risk. And so everyone on both sides kind of writes down what they're nervous about, you know, in terms of both technical and business kind of success. And everyone then is able to vote. On you know you have three votes you can vote on the risks and the the purpose of the rest of the meeting is not only to prioritize develop a scope and so on but it's also to mitigate as much of the risk as possible because at the end of the session you do the whole exercise all over again and see were we able to knock out any of the risks that were a risk a few hours back so in my case it's usually a one day session where the majority of the session is doing things like story guarding so we would you know who are the the roles who who uses the system what actions do they do and then story guard each one and. Um, you know, and so on. And what would end up happening after that would be, you know, sometimes we do maybe need to do a little more research or talking as a team privately, but then we would produce a deliverable, which would be kind of a recap of the entire session. You know, we would deliver the scope or the the story cards rather to them and any wireframes maybe that we drew during the session and workflows and so on. So they'd get these assets at the end, but that deliverable, that report was effectively our proposal also. So When I talked about increasing conversion rates, I mean, what ended up happening is instead of getting a proposal from us, which a proposal doesn't hold much value, it's from somebody who, you know, is wanting your business and so on. Instead, you're getting a customized report, which happens to describe what it would take financially and timeline wise to get to the goal you're looking to get to.
2: I also think it's very interesting because I know you've talked about this and we've talked about it also, that reducing risk is such an important part of setting the, the client's mindset. Right. Like it's not just, oh, yeah, I can do this development, but I can do this and it's going and and you don't have to worry as much as you would worry with someone else. We are actually going to get this done. And so I think it's very clever that you explicitly call that out during your roadmapping session. You say, let's talk about the risks. And they then sort of feel not just, oh, these guys really want to reduce my risk. They want my business to succeed. But you're also practically then trying to attack the most problematic, the most sort of bothersome issues that they have explicitly stated themselves. And I'm sure you then, knowing your writing, you then point to this explicitly. We will do X so as to mitigate
1: risk Y. Okay. I, I, yeah. I mean, that's when the deliverable report itself, which is again in a way the proposal, we recycle all that. Any sort of financials that we maybe model during the session, which usually the benefit is this session is done under non-disclosure. So they're a paying client at this point. They've signed our NDA. They're going to talk. they they should be. They should be able to talk to you money because we tell them up front that we don't want their business unless we know there's a clear path to financial ROI. So they're more, especially now that, you know, they're a client at this point, they can talk that kind of detail with us. And then we, we use that, we leverage that in the report, in our proposal.
0: One other thing that I really like, though, is that, I mean, you're not just talking about the risks as far as like, you know, the business's viability, but also just risks inherent in the project. And yep. if you can be explicit about those and talk about the way you solve them, you can actually give them a more appropriate and accurate estimate. So it doesn't just re- reduce the risk on them, but it reduces the risk on you, and it gives you better information to make those decisions overall. Yeah, and it might end up
1: you doing something. Like let's say they want to integrate with something strange. Uh, you might end up deciding early on, maybe it's not worthwhile for us to even attempt that. Maybe maybe there's something else we can do v1. I mean, we've de- I've been in a road mapping engagement before where had we not done this had we just been order takers we would have built this um it was like a way to match musicians with venues so like if you want to play at a coffee shop and you're a guitar person or something that's what it would do and out of the gate the the client wanted social features and all these different like you know community type things and it was in that road mapping that we were we really got to the root of it and I mean we spent enough time we did the due diligence on the idea And we said, you know what, like, you don't have a community yet. Let's shelve all that for later. We were able to trim his costs significantly. And he ended up getting better than than he thought going into it.
3: It's pretty common for people, client you know, prospects to come to developers with a self-diagnosis where they're like, I want you to do this and this and this. And if you never mind a roadmap, if you just say, well, hold the phone, you know, because I like Brennan, I will not engage with someone who has not convinced me that they're going to make money off the engagement, then you'll say like, well, wait a second. Why do you, why do you want to do that? Why do you want to do it like this? You know, they already have this, like, you know, they're not an expert at software development. They're already coming to you with like, we want you to build this and this and this, which is probably based on, you know, a couple of days of Googling that they did. Mm-hmm. Okay. And So so I push back like crazy on those phone calls. I'm like, you know, they'll send the email. You know, we heard you're an expert at this. We want you to build this thing for us. And then I'm like, sweet, here's some questions. Let's jump on a phone call and we'll hash through it. And so I almost do like a mini... It's not a roadmap, but it's like a, it's a mini kind of a similar kind of thing where I just, the whole time I just push back and be like, well, why do you want to do that? Like, why do you want to do that? Why do you want to do that? And, and then eventually you drill down to and you find out what the real goals are behind these, self, these things that they've prescribed, mm-hmm. this medicine they've prescribed for themselves. And you realize that, oh, you know what? There's probably a much easier way to do this with like an off-the-shelf WordPress plugin or blah, blah, blah. So Vernon, you're touching on like a million things that I think are super interesting. You could have we could have like an entire show on each one. But for Ruben, maybe for people listening, it might be it might help to distinguish between a roadmap and an estimate and a proposal if I describe what I'm about to describe, which is that I since I don't do when I, I don't do software development anymore anyway, but when I did do it and I used to do this. Then I would give people fixed bids. So I was the one taking all the financial risk. Mm -hmm. So the way it would play out, and I only describe this because I think it might help explain how to sell it. The way it would play out is people would say, oh, you know, we'd have this conversation. I'd say, I'd ask a million, you know, I'd ask a million times, why do you want to do this? Finally, they would convince me that it was a good idea to do it. I'd spend a day, you know, half a day or a day putting together a proposal. I'd send it to them. And if they said, this sounds great, but these prices are way too high. And again, these are fixed bids. This is not an estimate of how many hours it might take. This is like, you know, it's going to be $50,000 for this option, $85,000 for this option, and $100,000 for this option. If they're like, these prices are way too high, then I'd say, all right, well, let's do a road mapping session. It'll only be $5,000 to $10,000. And if we do that, and we basically really drill into the reasons behind all of these things, a the little bit more detail of what you're trying to achieve, what you're visualizing in your head and what your users actually want, then that's going to decrease my risk and I'll be able to do revise the proposal and be much more specific and the prices can be a lot lower because I don't have to add the cushion to protect myself against the risk, which perhaps makes more sense when you think of it that way.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to be doing any sort of, if you're going to be doing a fixed-fit especially, you need to, I mean, you're the one at risk. A lot of the time. So you need to be able to be confident that, you know, you're in the same wavelength. I mean, that's really what it is. is It allows you and the client to be effectively on the same wavelength because you're actually spending the time required to make, to do that. And they end up getting a lower price. It's like, if you pay me $10,000 now, it's going to cut $50,000 off the project. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Because again, you're more confident in what you're doing, right? So, because otherwise you need to kind of build into that. A lot of wiggle room, I'd assume. Exactly.
4: Yeah. Brandon, what are are the common objections from clients when, let's assume someone is intrigued by this idea, but maybe they're not great at selling it. What kind of objections can they prepare themselves for from clients?
1: I mean, the big one is if somebody's shopping around and they're talking with a lot of, let's say you're a web developer and they're talking to others like you, if you're the only one doing this, it could be either a good thing or a bad thing. But sometimes it could be potentially a bad thing because they're like, well, and everyone else is willing to do kind of what you're saying for free. So what's happening there is it's devaluation, I think of exactly what you're offering. I mean, mm-hmm. it needs to be seen as like what I, I don't look at it as a, I mean, in my mind, it's a requirement or it should be a requirement. Should, you know, step one is to do this. Step two is to do the engagement. And the reason we do step one first is this and this. And I mean, we've all seen clients who have gone for like, let's say the cheapest bidder and they get burned and then they come back and they have half the budget at that point and you know and so on. <laughs> so I think a lot of it is kind of setting the right expectations and telling people like this is why you know I do this because of this reason and and the reasons are oftentimes the you know when you say something and I say, and I say something the actual definition is often different. It's really hard to actually be on that same wavelength and understand. The other big thing and, and I think the biggest thing is When you actually spend the time to figure out what the business problem is, and what the solution is, you know, where where they need to get to that where they need to get to is kind of like a it's a mile, it's a milestone, right? It's like the goalpost, you're able to then weigh every single feature, every single requirement against that, and think and and actually discuss which should be doing is doing it this way is doing this is, is adding a community feature. Is that the single best way to make sure that this this new business, this new venture becomes um, useful to people who have a coffee shop and they want to fill it with live musicians? Is having community the best way of doing that? No. You know, emails, letting people just direct email each other or call each other is fine. And it's a way to just really flesh out exactly what should be done and why should we do it this way? And, you know, really, it's just a way I like to look at it as my goal here is to save you money. It's like what John was just saying. And my goal here is to get you to that end goalpost as quickly as possible and as economically as possible, because I don't want you to build stuff in your first cut that doesn't need to be there. I want to make sure that we can get, you know, now that I know what needs to happen, now that I know the the business case behind the project, I want to help you realize that. And I'm a consultant. I do this stuff for a living all day. You know, the industry, you know, your business, you know, there's value in having us both really flesh something out collaboratively.
4: Yeah, let let me play devil's advocate because I know some people are thinking this. Okay, so here's the devil's advocate position. I'm intrigued by roadmapping, but I sell something that has like this extremely long time horizon to get any kind of ROI. Let's say I'm a branding consultant. Mm -hmm. So how does, you know, how does a branding consultant where maybe they don't have a strong way to tie their work to ROI, is this a useful tool for them? And if so, you know, how do they get around that objection where they can't just wave the ROI card as easily?
1: I mean, financial ROI is usually the easiest thing to sell because yeah. just say, hey, you spend 10, I'll give you 20 back and here's how. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of other things. I was just talking to somebody today who he sells to big corporations where the people he's selling to, the stakeholders, are, let's say, the head of a department who's far removed from any accounts receivable. And mm. you know, money's not a big thing. But for them, the goal is to understand it's touchy saying this sometimes, but like, how do we make them look good to their boss? Wow. Or how do we make their department look amazing? How do we make the brand's reputation? Like, you know, it what, what is before we jump into Illustrator and start knocking out logo concepts? What are we here for? And I think it's important. I, and again, some designers do this; they usually bake like a discovery into you know the initial phase. But I'm just arguing that if you can move it out and move it, have it be a separate product and have it be a lower price, low risk product. It actually will, what it does, because here's the big problem. The big problem is when you're talking with a lead who has no financial, no commercial relationship with you, they've never gotten anything of value from you. You know, th- There's a big jump between zero dollars, no relationship, and paying you gobs and gobs of money for a project. So all I'm arguing here is if you have something that's more of like a business impulse buy, let's say your average budget is uh, 15000 if you can offer something that's maybe even a few hundred dollars. And it's a much lower risk. Let me give you an actual example of this. So, you know, I've been looking into doing YouTube ads for a while now, but I, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, does it really work? Is there actually like, you know, know, will it actually, am I just going to waste budget? And I was talking to a guy named Jake who does YouTube ads are his thing. And he's actually somebody who, who went through my stuff and he now has a $297 product. That is a one-hour Skype call where you get on the phone with him. He screen shares this Google spreadsheet. He talks. He asks you about your customer lifetime value. He asks you about, you know, what are your typical conversion rates. So now, I know this is all financials. So it's not exactly answering that question, but mm-hmm. you know, he he goes into this and then he talks about, well, here's the, here's the average cost per click of a YouTube ad, and here's the average, um, you know, from the clients I've worked with, here's some of the stats that they have, and you know, and so on. And it's just a way for me, you know, me spending two two ninety seven or three hundred bucks. Is nothing come, you know, I, I have no issue spending that. Whereas the alternative, which is what he upsold me later was spending a few thousand dollars a month for him to manage it. So if I were to jump directly into a few thousand dollars a month to manage my YouTube ads, I don't know if I would have done that. It would have been too risky. And by d- having this thing that was a no brainer for me, just to kind of in a way, feel the waters, you know, is Jake a good guy to work with? Does he do a good job at kind of understanding my business and so on? You know, it made me more likely to actually take that next step to the, the full-blown engagement. I love that term you threw out there, uh,
4: business impulse buy. <laughs> Me too. I was thinking the same thing. Because yeah. I, I think a lot of freelancers, 300 bucks is like a big deal. But like you said, for a, a successful business, that literally is like buying it's, – it's the same thing as buying coffee, right?
1: Right, right. I mean, that's what – like you look at Um, people – I mean, she doesn't consult as much, but Joanna Weep And even uh, Nick does this. I mean, you know, Jonah, we've had used to have like a $700 website teardown where or landing page or sales copy teardown where she would just look at what you have, assess it, point out all. I mean, what it was is it was a way for you to see, actually, what can you expect if she's working on your project? Like, what are the what are her thoughts about what you're doing and, and, you know, and so on in a way that you can squeeze it on your company Amex without going through a contract process?
4: Yeah, that's huge.
1: And that's what I meant by kind of, I mean, the people who are doing this, actually, I ran a survey to my list where I asked them, on average, how much time do you spend courting a client or, you know, a lead? And then what's your typical conversion rate? And the the response I got back was, on average, people spend about three to four hours in kind of what I would call the meet and greet, the meetings, along with the proposal writing process. So everything before that. And on top of that, they're closing on average about 25% of uh, of leads. So, I mean, that's, you know, people are spending 12 hours of sunk time into getting one client, which to me kind of sucks. I mean, that's a lot of time that you're spending to do that, especially if, you know, if if what you're doing in that sales process is kind of consultative. And it also sets a bad tone because if you're doing all this free meeting where you're talking about their, their project and you're talking about their business and, you know, you see it as a part of like a cost of doing business. And when they sign the, you sign your contract and you're now working for them and then you dare to start charging them for meetings, uh, another benefit of having either weekly or fixed billing is you get to avoid this. But let's say you're billing hourly and you have a meeting as a line item. Well, you know, they're used to getting your consultative time for free. So it's one way to kind of stop that early on. And like I was saying, I mean, to me, it's such a low risk thing for a potential business. If you do it right, I mean, a lot of my budgets for my agency were quarter million to half million dollars. So. We would charge five grand, which was nothing compared to what they would be spending. But, you know, I've seen people do everything from, you know, lowest I've seen is $200 for about an hour, which is still usually more than the hourly rate of the people who are doing this, the effective hourly rate. But you're able to then, you know, spend some time and, and actually do what often happens before in a way where people, the the lead actually takes it a lot more seriously when they're paying for it too. And the value, like I think I mentioned earlier, the value of a proposal, the value of that time beforehand is relatively low, but when you're when you paid for that deliverable, that is your proposal. You don't treat it like you would a proposal. There's so many things that are coming into play. Like
3: there's so many things that we talk about on the show and elsewhere that are all come into play here. That makes it, I think, probably makes it sound a little bit confusing from the outside. Because if you're someone who is attracting, you know, who's not differentiated, you're just sort of this undifferentiated generalist who does web development. Full stack web developer, front end, back end, Rails, JavaScript, WordPress, I'll do anything. It's, it's probable that you're attracting clients who are not great and who are not going to be amenable to this entire concept. Mm-hmm. And that you're up against probably a, you know, a half dozen other people that they're also looking at. So. It's. A, I feel like it's almost a little bit difficult to talk about this without talking about, you know, like Philip's stuff with positioning yourself as an authority on a particular thing and and the concept. That's the thing I'm always hammering on, which is like ridding the world of hourly billing and stepping up and saying, "Look, this is how much it costs for this outcome." And I can imagine the screams and the the wailing <laughs> cry of the audience listening.
1: Uh, it's, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the Holy Trinity is to have all three. Like, you know, not Yeah. Generally. I mean, you almost have to talk about thing. all three, right? Yeah. Right. But I mean, I, as a counterpoint, I have seen people who are generalists pull this off. And I have seen people who do bill for their time, pull, pull this off. So, you know, it's not, and I don't mean pulling it off like eking by. I mean, they're, they're very successful. For instance, one of my people oh, I partnered with on this roadmapping thing I did recently, the course, he runs a development agency where they bill by the week and he's done a million and a half last year alone in just roadmapping. But he does, I mean his is different. So what he does is he charges 15 to 30,000 and he's helping people who are kind of either bootstrapped or friends and family and they want to raise money and they want to build out a prototype, they want to have a clear plan of action. They want to I mean he helped with the pitch deck, the market research and everything. So it's kind of like their product in a way is to help them be more successful at raising institutional money. And then obviously when they do raise the money, they come back and hire the team too. So we actually had to acquire an agency in Uruguay just to handle all the uh, influx of work he's getting. Yeah. I mean, I feel like in a way, since I don't do development
3: anymore, I feel like everything I do is roadmapping. It's like the same kind of thing where I, but it's on an ongoing basis. Like I'm constantly roadmapping for my clients. Yeah, But I mean, here's what we want to do with this, with our outsourced development firm And I'm like, okay, let's make sure before we, you know, put together an RFP to send to them, you know, to get a statement of work. I kind of do a roadmap with them, but then I never do the implementation. It's like they just hand it off to the the company, and I get paid like more than the people doing the
2: the actual development. And that's I I find (laughs) this fascinating, Jonathan, because like I was under the impression that, like, road mapping was perfect for development projects. But you're saying, no, it could be good for strategic projects also. You come in and you say, okay, this project is worth and it's In some ways, it's even easier to talk about ROI there because Top Gun at a company is not going to have a new business project without having some sort of built-in ROI or ROI calculated. So they know they want to do this project. They know they want to make money from it. And now you're uh, going to come in early and, and you're going to the help point. them do it. Oh, no, okay. No, it's, I, I'm
3: total. I'm an insurance policy.
2: Mm-hmm, 100%. Mm-hmm.
3: I decrease risk. That's it. And it's weird because it's tough to quantify, you know, over a podcast with a bunch of people. But if you were sitting in a meeting and you saw the looks of relief on people's faces when, you know, they say, oh, we're thinking about doing this. And I'll, I'd i say something like, you know, they're like, we're really stuck. Like, this happened to me the other day. I went into a sort of a brainstorming meeting with a client and they were like, the version of IE that they had built an application for that was deployed to all of their very high-paying clients was sunset, and they have this ActiveX control that's no longer going to run, and you know we're going to have to rewrite our entire infrastructure to do this in a different way, blah blah, you know, on and on and on. Like they're they're like they've been wrestling with, it. and I was like, well, why don't you? Wait a second, like let me understand. Okay, this is the parts and pieces. Okay, couldn't you just? do this thing and like their eyes all popped open. <laughs> They're like,
1: Oh my God. <laughs> you know, like, it's funny like, you mention my- that. I've actually seen a road mapping. I've heard of a guy who did a road mapping engagement and the, del- like the recommendation was to sign up for woofoo. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Oh, wow. Yeah. I do that all the time. Yeah. Right. Like awesome. here's the, here's this off the shelf thing that you don't know about because you don't study, you don't like pay attention to this stuff because you're doing your job all day, but you've got this guy who's a free agent, me, floating around the internet, mostly doing mobile stuff, but, you know, like looking at what's current at mobile, looking at and sort of like me judging which frameworks are the most uh, robust or the ones that are the most flexible. And like, and so I'm like constantly just studying the market on the development side, the tools side and, you know, really the ecosystem and all that. But I just keep myself smart about that stuff. And then they have a situation that overlaps with that in a business way. And, I can almost immediately off the top of my head just comment on it and save them, you know, five figures to six figures. And, you know, and I've built up trust and there's other things behind it. But, I, you know, it's kind of like my whole job is like road mapping on steroids on a monthly basis.
0: Yeah. So I have to ask, I mean... So, somebody pays, let's say, even $500, right, for road mapping. You know, if I could see people paying up to like, you know, $2,000 or $5,000, and your recommendation is, wah, wah, there's already something out there. It's woofoo. I mean, does, does that well, feel think, anticlimactic, think if you, right? Think if you're
1: the buyer. I mean, let's say you were just about to spend like a bunch of cash that you earmarked for developing something custom, and you find out that there's a, f- again, it's all about knowing what the goal is. I right. mean, No one cares about. I mean, we like to pretend that our clients care about code and design. They don't. They they care about the results. They care about what they what they need done. And you know, I mean, that's yeah. But, you're, you're consultative. There. I mean, that's yeah. What you're doing yeah, but it's them.
0: it's five hundred or a couple thousand dollars, basically, for them to tell you about something that was essentially a Google search away if you would search for the right thing. But they didn't. Oh, but that's but that's, that's they
4: didn't. The, that's and the, and the, they you know, and they get to walk into their boss's office and say, "I just saved us fifty thousand dollars or something so like that." So do you
0: frame it like that? You could I save would. yourself $50,000 by using Wufu instead of saying Sure. Wufu. Yeah, yeah
3: I've, I've done that with AWS. You know, a company was planning on buying a, like investing, you know, I think it was $3 million with IBM to buy servers for oh, wow. their data center. And I was like, you guys, this is going to be 500 bucks a month on AWS maximum.
1: <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm talking about a lot of my clients are the type who get their technical knowledge from airport billboards. So, <laughs> gotcha. you know, I mean, it's. Yeah. I mean, we, so we, to we, me,
0: it seems obvious, but to them, it isn't. Right. Right. Exactly.
1: Right. Yeah.
3: And besides, if you do a Google search and it comes up, do you instantaneously trust the results?
0: That's true, too. I always click the sponsored results because those are the best.
3: (laughs) (laughs) That's a great, I mean, you're joking, of course, but I mean, I literally never click on a sponsored result. I just assume it's not as good as the organic ones.
1: Well, here's the amazing thing. How many people who are searching don't even know the difference? And that's true. Yeah, That's that's probably a shockingly
2: large number, which is keeping Google in business. Right. Exactly. The number of times that I've gone to clients and I've pointed something which was, painfully, ridiculously obvious to me, and was not even a blip on their radar is huge. But that's the whole point, right? Like, you're coming in as an expert. And in some ways, having those sorts of insights, it doesn't mean they're dumb. It just, I mean, not at all. It just means they don't know this domain. And it demonstrates your expertise and demonstrates why they want to work with you. Because you're coming up with this, like, oh, I've done this 10 times in the last month. That's great for everyone. It's great for you. uh, And it's great for them.
0: He said that like it was no big
1: deal, <laughs> right? Right. Take this as an, as an extension of an example that I was to give, but I think we all know Patrick McKenzie, and he talked a lot of. He gave a talk, I think it was a microconf a few years back, where he was saying something like, "You know, why? Why? Let's say you did an ebook on uh, Ruby on Rails deployment. He was addressing the objection of why would you do that when you could just Google and find all that stuff." And his his answer, which I love, was something like, go ahead and convince an employer that they should write on their next payroll check for some developer uh, in the memo line, you know, reading free information on the Internet. Um, <laughs> you know, so, I mean, if you think about it that way, I mean, a good business, the kind of people we want as clients to value their time and spending a week Googling and researching is not the best use of their time. And they know it. So the kind of clients I think we want are the ones who implicitly recognize that.
3: Yeah, that's what I was getting at before where it's like the people who are going to object to this stuff are people who have more time than money or are just straight up penny pinchers. And you don't really – you're never going to provide them enough value to to warrant charging them what you're worth.
0: Well, I also think that it makes a lot of sense when you're thinking about it from the standpoint of – I have to go to my boss and tell them that I read a blog article by some guy I don't know versus I, I went and I spent 50 bucks on this ebook and then I figured out that the author's available and he can actually come and help us. So we're going to bring in an expert that literally wrote the book on it. You know, it's, it's a much easier sell and it makes a whole lot more sense when, you know, when you go to the boss and instead of saying, I'm going to try a bunch of stuff versus I'm going to have an expert come show me how to do it.
1: Yeah, and a lot of—I mean—a lot of consultants have. I mean, that's why they want to get into products, not just as a revenue source, but also as a way to effectively have that impulse buy, right? Like, I mean, what is—you know—if you buy a Pete Keene's book on uh, Rails and Stripe, and then you end up hiring him to do your Stripe integration, I mean, that book was basically a, a very, very, very turnkey, very abstract, generalized roadmapping engagement. Granted, you had to actually apply the contents of the book to your unique situation, but it's that having that thing beforehand. You know, I think somebody called it once the stepladder of trust. I mean, you see that a lot on kind of on, uh, people who have product portfolios. You know, they have the two figure, then the three figure, then the four figure plus, uh, products. Um, usually the people don't jump directly into four figure plus, you know, one thing I wanted to circle back
4: on a little more is pricing. A couple questions. Like, is, is road mapping viable as a, I mean, clearly it is in some cases viable as a standalone revenue generator, but. How should it be priced? Do you think of it as a loss leader, et cetera? Like, what are your thoughts on pricing? I mean,
1: I wouldn't, I wouldn't make it so it, you're losing money compared to the equivalent time you're going to be spending on a, on the engagement. I mean, but I wouldn't also use it as a way to make money, like a, a, as a huge way to make a lot of cash. Like Mm -hmm. in my mind, it's a way to financially qualify. So, you know, in the case of the, like, I don't even know, like the, the guy who I spent 300 on for that one hour Skype call. I don't even know if I did pay him for, let's say, 2000 a month, how many many hours is going to go into that. I don't care, honestly. But, you know, I I think you want to make it so it's not too inexpensive, but it's not enough that they actually need to consciously think, do I want to give up, you know, do I want to spend this much on it? So I've usually advised, I mean, I've seen anywhere between, you know, maybe 5% of the overall expected budget. I mean, a lot depends on what you're doing, honestly. If you're going to be spending a whole day... In a meeting room, I me mean, should be charging a few thousand for that. But if it's a one hour, two hour thing, maybe a few hundred or maybe even up to a thousand. So, to, to
3: clarify, the specific kind of road mapping you're talking about is a situation where it's a precursor to some kind of development project.
1: Correct. In this case, I, I think really advanced level stuff, like Jonathan was saying, is where you can actually make it your end of the line or at least one of your end of the lines. But I think for the majority of people, it should be used as a tool to increase lead conversion rate and also increase the uh, the, the effective uh, price of your projects because when you can do this and you can mitigate a lot of the risk and you can show them, I mean we all like selling selling to existing clients because a lot of the crap that goes into selling somebody new doesn't happen. So you know in, in a way what you're doing is you're able to sell to somebody who's already paid you. In, I mean you, you want to give somebody a ROI on the on the road mapping so that. They naturally think, well, you know, if I got a ton of value after spending, you know, a few hundred or a few thousand dollars with him or her, I'm naturally like, you know, it, it just becomes an obvious next step to, you know, go with them for that next. And one thing, one anecdote I want to mention, too, is, you know, one of my uh objection overcoming things is, well, I do two things. Usually I say, if you don't think it's about if you don't think it's worth it, I will give you a money back guarantee. Now, I didn't do that with my agency, but now that I'm doing shorter, like one, two hour road mappings, I don't really care as much if I loo- potentially lose that because it's the ultimate object- objection killer to be able to say that. And the second thing is it's portable. And I think we mentioned this before, meaning the product you get from this, the plan of action is not something only I can do. However, data has shown both myself and from you know quite a few hundred other people I've surveyed about this, they usually don't go looking because it would be too risky for them to start again with somebody who doesn't have the context you have now, even if they might save a few bucks. That's been my experience. They never, I say that I literally use the exact
3: same word like, Oh, we'll do a design phase where we're going to create wireframes. We're going to do style guides. We're going to make sure we understand what the goals are, be Mm 5,000 bucks. At the end of that, you can take it and you know, no hard feelings. You, I, I recommend that you shop around and try and get a better price. If you think you can get it, they never do. Right.
2: Brendan, I'm curious. I mean, it sounds like, I mean, you described earlier that it was a whole process coming to how you do, did, do these uh, roadmaps. I'm wondering what mistakes you made along the way, like things that seemed like really good ideas in doing roadmapping that turned out to be bad ideas, uh, or that were obviated by
1: better ways and ideas. I think making it a credit was a bad, bad idea. It seemed good in my mind, but, um, it's, you know, I, I think what it ends up doing is it devalues your time. Now you might counter that and say, well, you just said I get a refund if you don't think it's about, I think that's different though, because then you're explicitly saying if you don't feel the values there, I can refund you on that. But it's different than saying, look, I, I actually think this is not very valuable. So I'm just going to apply whatever you pay me now as a credit to your project. Um, so I would say that's that's one. The other thing that I've, I made the mistake of is not having my clients do homework beforehand. So, you know, we'd get to the meeting and then there'd be a little thumb twiddling before we actually build up kind of a momentum, I guess. So one of the things we started doing was giving them, you know, you don't want people needing to figure out their customer left and values on the fly or, you know, any of that stuff. So you want to equip them and help them. To have that data beforehand. So by the time you get to the the actual live meeting, you already have that data and you've already let it sink in a bit. Um, So those were definitely two big mistakes. The other was not having a explicit post meeting or post or follow up meeting, I guess, after the deliverable sent. So. What was actually kind of cool, I mean, so much of this has to do with human psychology. It's crazy. But, you know, when you when you sell somebody on roadmap and you tell them, okay, so you get a, let's say it's a two-hour meeting, and then I'm going to write this custom report that's going to tell you exactly what you should be doing. It's basically the prescription. And um, I'm going to follow up with you a few days after I send you that report, and I can answer any questions you have and, and talk about your, you know, basically point you in the right direction. So that basically gives you as a part of the product that post-proposal dispatching follow-up call. Or follow up meeting. Um, mm-hmm. so that was something too, because again, they see it differently. They see it as something they bought versus you hounding them. Hey, hire me, hire me, you know, so I've got one also, which is you don't want to make it
3: too prescriptive because then it becomes waterfall. Mm-hmm. So if we use the, you know, drive from California to New York mm-hmm. analogy. And say you want it to be like the appropriate level of focus. Like, you know, take this highway and then take this highway and take this highway, but you don't get into like, okay, at this point you pull off the highway, you get gas, you get back. You can out figure
1: out where you're eating lunch and yeah, all yeah, that yeah, stuff yeah, on the yeah, way. Yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah, because what ends up happening is it's too rigid and then it ends up when you get into the project, some of that stuff gets blown up for whatever reason and then it starts to eat into the the trust.
1: It should because, be very
3: like, Yeah. It needs to be pretty high level. needs to be like, these are the business goals. You know, these are the desired outcomes. These are the the metrics that we're going to measure along the way to make sure we're on track. These are the concerns. These are, you know, these are the the big moving parts, but it needs to be maybe not 30,000 foot view, but it needs to be very specific about high level things. If that sounds, (laughs) if that makes sense, you don't want it to be very specific about low level things. Right. So I, I want like lots of clarity, but not lots of detail it's kind of a weird distinction but completely it, agree yeah. yeah now that no one knows how to do a roadmap,
2: <laughs> maybe,
4: maybe
3: they should buy Brennan's course <laughs> you know I'm kidding of course but it's like it's a really I think this is a very valuable thing and I say this all the time I apologize I'm going to say it again but coding is one of the lowest value things that software developers have to offer their clients people well, like who code for, it's not why people buy right yeah I mean, it's, it's not, not I mean like- people want outcomes they don't want code they, you know, you can, you can write elegant code all day long and print it out and frame it on your wall because it's so amazing and concise. And I love that. And I, I'll probably hire you to do that for me, but that's not what your clients want. They want outcomes and you can actually get those outcomes without doing the code. In fact, a lot of this, the most valuable stuff, most freelancers and consultants who do software development, the most valuable stuff that they do, they generally give away for free. And this is a way to start to tap into a more consultative relationship that you're not coding, you're not billing by the hour. This is by almost by definition, this is a productized service. And you're, you know, it's gonna it's gonna take some time, but you're not billing by the hour for it or anything like that. You're just like, here's a price, this is the outcome that you're gonna get from it. And I think it's a, a fabulous entry point into a world where you are a differentiated expert where you are not billing by the hour and you're getting paid for your head, not your hands.
2: I'll I'll tell you, I actually was speaking to someone just a few days ago, you know, about the whole programming versus training thing. And I was trying to explain to them or I was explaining to them that training pays more. And they said, why? And I said, well, there are all sorts of reasons for it. But I think a lot of it is when you're doing development, the person who is approving your budget is someone who is hiring developers and so they're looking at your requested costs versus the cost of the developers they're hiring. They're like, what? I am not going to hire a developer for that much. But if you're talking about doing more strategic stuff or more business stuff or training or whatever, you're talking to someone who has a completely different set of goals, a completely different set of budget, and they're not interested in how much the developer costs. right? They're, they're interested in, can I get my things done? I I've reluctantly over the years come to agree with Jonathan because really years ago, I was like, what? These software companies, they're making software. Clearly, my programming is the most important thing they can be doing. And even if at the end of the day they need software, they need other stuff at least as much or more. And the combination of the business skills and the technical skills are where it's going to get to. And I found, just to bring this back to our actual topic, that in some of these initial meetings or even a little bit of the road mapping that I've done because I haven't done that much of it, this is a chance to sort of shine and show them that you understand that connection and that it's worth paying you to come in and do more. I concur.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, we've been uh, talking for about an hour, and that was after our fifteen to twenty-minute warm-up. <laughs> we were talking about other stuff. That just shows that we all enjoy talking to you, Brennan. Let's go ahead and get to picks. Jonathan, do you want to get us to picks?
3: Absolutely. Well, let's get this over with. I have a road mapping project <laughs> that you can that you can sign up for if you like at expensiveproblem.com/slash/roadmap. I'll leave that at that. A tool that I've used recently, thanks to Philip. Philip's recommendation is something called Dropshare. So folks might be familiar with CloudApp, which is something that has been a daily part of my workflow for a year or two at least. Uh, they seem to be going in a direction that I do not appreciate. And I was looking for an alternative and Philip recommended Dropshare, which I like at least twice as much as CloudApp. It's totally configurable, which I love. It allows me to share my files or upload my files directly to S3. Shorten the links using Bitly, et cetera, et cetera. So if you know what cloud app is and uh, you're looking for an alternative, then drop share is, I give it a huge thumbs up. And last pick is TV show pick. I guess you can call it that. It's a web series. Uh, but Louis CK, who is in my opinion, a modern genius has a show called Horace and Pete, which you can buy off of his website at louisck.net, And It is, I mean, eh, hyperbole is a, is a problem with me, but I think it's probably the best TV show I've ever seen and it is just totally mind blowing and it's unlike anything I've ever watched before. So if you are into Louis CK and you are not, you don't have a problem with lots of swearing, (laughs) that sort of thing, then uh, you should check out Horace and Pete and you will be blown away.
0: That makes my day. I quit using CloudApp quite a while ago because it was doing dumb crap. So,
4: mm-hmm. yeah, they're going in the wrong direction.
0: Philip, what are your picks?
4: I've been using Drop Share now for I don't know 3-4 months and it has not let me down, so I just want to echo what Jonathan was saying. It really hits a lot of the right notes for what that kind of tool is, I think, supposed to do. And Jonathan, I don't think mentioned this, but it unhitches you from needing to pay whatever per month that cloud app charges. Really oh, right. Yeah. It's not a monthly fee. Dumping yeah. on a cloud app here. But yeah, it's, you, it's a pay once thing and then you use whatever storage you have. So I, I find that a, a more attractive pricing model for my own purposes. So Seconded, I wanted to do a pop culture pick. Uh, if you're into sci-fi, I recently binge-watched the entire of uh, first season of a show called The Expanse. I'm pretty critical about sci-fi. It's like my genre for, for TV, and there's not been a lot that's come out in the last two years or so that's been satisfying. But this show was uh, intellectually and emotionally satisfying in a lot of ways. Really kind of intriguing premise and enough of a sort of bridge from present time to an imaginable sort of realistic future that involves space exploration that it was, I just thought it was great. Really, really good stuff. And then my second pick is a new landing page builder I've been experimenting with called, uh, what's it called? It's by thrive, uh, themes, thrive themes? but it is, they have some name for it. Anyway, if you, if you Google for thrive themes, landing page builder, it runs locally in, in WordPress. So on the theme of ditching subscription software, it's, uh, unlike something like lead pages that, that entails a monthly subscription it's a pay once product and you know re-up at the end of the year to continue getting support and um if you can get used to the interface which has a small learning curve i found it really pretty well done and i've tried a lot of landing page builders and not a lot of them make the cut for me so this is one i can recommend and that will be it for my picks this week
0: so i want to double down on one of yours too uh the thrive themes uh Landing page builder. I actually I had to put up a landing page recently, and I already had a subscription, but I hadn't actually used it yet. So i I just threw it up in like an hour and a half, two hours, and it did everything I wanted to, including integrating with Drip, no problem. So just that's one nice. On that. Yeah, nice. Reuven, what are your picks?
2: Uh, so I got two picks for this week. One of them is uh, I think uh many listeners know that I've been getting into data science more and more for teaching it and just also learning it and I'm discovering it's a world of fascinating stuff and someone recommended that I look at machinelearningmastery.com uh it's this guy named Jason Brownlee from uh, Australia who publishes these short but really nicely written yeah very sort of tightly written ebooks on machine learning in both Python and in R And he just keeps churning out more books on them, how the algorithms work, how to use them, be practical, be theoretical. And uh, he has a very nice style. And um, if you're like me trying to learn as much as you can about this more and more, definitely worth looking at machinelearningmastery.com where he has many free things as well. And my second pick is um, a while ago on the podcast, I picked a book called The Terrible Two, which was just Super, super fun. I I read it to my then, I guess, eight and a half, nine year old. And well, there's a new book out of the series called The Terrible Two Get Worse, which is just as funny, very good for parents and children as well. So if you have a like middle school aged kid, or that reading level, or you just enjoy reading to them, or you'll sneak it out at night. Very funny, lots of good making fun of kids and parents alike, and uh, lots of fun for all involved.
0: All right, I've got a couple of picks. First off, the last about week and a half, I was at a couple of conferences. The first one was the Build Conference, which is Microsoft's developer conference. It was really cool, a lot of fun stuff there. You know, I got to meet a whole bunch of Microsoft folks, and I got to see my friends on the Angular core team and stuff like that. Uh, It was a lot of fun, so I'm going to pick that. Interesting enough, I never really thought I'd be going to a Microsoft conference, and it was surprisingly fun. Now, one other thing I want to pick there is they had a HoloLens uh, demo, and they teamed up with the JPL from NASA, and they took all of the images and other information that's out of uh, the Mars Curiosity rover, so images and readings and all that stuff, and they put it all into a an experience that they had at the conference. And so you actually got to walk, uh, first off, you saw Mars and you saw like the satellites orbiting and, you know, it drew lines where the orbits run and showed you the rotational velocity. And they pointed out features on the planet surface and stuff like that. And then they took you into a fully immersive experience. Well, uh, visual and audio anyway, where you got to actually go, uh, you were from, from what you could see and hear, you were on the surface of Mars. And so you could bend down and get a really close look at the, the ground, you could look at different things. It pointed out different features of the landscape and different features of different uh, parts of uh, Mars. And then it showed you the Curiosity rover. Incidentally, the the MC for the experience was uh, none other than Buzz Aldrin. And you could actually walk up and you could, you know, you could look at his jacket and, you know, see the stitching on the patch. I mean, it was really cool. Dude. Anyway, HoloLens is super cool. So I'm going to pick that and pick the, the Mars uh, Encounter Experience. Uh, another thing, uh, so anyway, then I went to Las Vegas, and I spent a couple days there with the guys from Programmers, which is my mastermind group. And we actually record all of our mastermind calls as a podcast. You can go check that out at Entreprogrammers.com. And uh, yeah, had a lot of great experiences there. You know, just kind of getting brain share about all, all the stuff that they're doing in their businesses and that I'm doing in my business that... It's hard to convey over a Google Hangout, so I'm going to pick retreats with other people and then Microconf. And Microconf was awesome. I actually saw Brennan there and got to meet up with a whole bunch of other people, and I will tell you that uh, the presentations in my opinion are worth the price of admission, but that is hardly the most most important or most worth it part of the conference. It's the parts where you're out in the hallway for the snacks or you're, you know, you're at they have after parties every night. And just being able to connect with people and talk to people and get their feedback on what you're doing and give them feedback on what what they're doing and just lining up all those connections. I think I have, so I created three lists for the conference and just to give you an idea, there are about 25 people on the list of people I want to follow up with. Uh, There are about 30 things on the other two lists and those are things I want to check out or things I need to do. And so, just came away with a huge list of things that are going to make a huge impact on my business and and the way that I do things going forward. So, um, yeah. So those those are my picks. Brendan, what are your picks?
1: So I just did a uh, my my site's on WordPress, and I just did a, a huge redesign. And I've got a few picks actually from that experience. I want to want to share. One of them is a little plugin called Advanced Custom Fields, because what it <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know what I'm talking about.
0: <laughs> okay, okay, I have to, I have to interrupt you and just pre- preface this a little bit. So, as part of the Entre Programmers Retreat, I wound up hanging out with Derek Bailey, who does WatchMeCode.net, yeah, yeah, sure. n- uh-huh. uh, and John Sanmez and Josh Earl, who both are partners now on SimpleProgrammer.com. Right. And Josh and John convinced Derek to switch over to WordPress for watch me Code a year or so ago and i was talking about you know some of the things that i keep having to debug on devchat.tv which is a custom rails app and they lo- they all looked at me and said why aren't you on wordpress and so i said well it didn't do what i wanted it to do they asked what that was i started explaining and pretty soon they had me coding in wordpress to make all that stuff happen and advanced custom fields was a Big part of that, so oh, it's awesome.
1: I mean, I just like I built this whole like topics page with different landing pages, and I could yeah. put in, overwrite the headline and have a little uh-huh. blurb thing on the right, and can do all these different data types like photo or a bit, uh, media or you know WYSIWYG or you know whatever. Anyway, awesome, awesome little plugin. I also just well, I'm still kind of doing it, but I'm I'm moving all of my stuff off of Gumroad and kind of a hodgepodge of Gravity Forms tied with Stripe to WooCommerce. So I've been using that to just sell stuff. And I mean, even if like, say, if you're using doing road mapping, they actually have kind of like a, a booking plugin that's kind of like clarity.fm, but without the 15 or whatever percent fee. So if you wanted to you know, use something like that to sell even your time, it's, that's doable too. But anyway, I've, I really enjoyed it. I'm moving all my courses. So that meant dabbling into courseware and membership stuff and really liking WooCommerce and their kind of uh, ecosystem, I guess, of extensions. Um, actually, it's funny WooCommerce is free, but then all the extensions are like a hundred, 200 bucks. So it actually adds up pretty quickly, but really enjoyed working with it. The other things are, I think I forgot who mentioned it, but somebody mentioned that I, I do not to, to my own stuff, but I do have a, um, just came out with a new course on road mapping that I flew out to LA and met with a friend of mine who, or actually a student of mine and a friend who, uh, he's the one who I mentioned who did like a million and a half last year just in road mapping. We went out, we filmed a five-hour video course, but we also interviewed a lot of his clients and asked them point blank, like, why did you, what objections did you have? What was the effect? And it was just, it came out really well. So that is over at www.fuelancing.com slash roadmapping. And the third, I guess I would say, again, I, I don't make any profit on this, so I'm happy to say it, but we do have, we've got a conference uh, coming up, which you can see Ruben there in, uh, in Stockholm this June. And it's uh, the Double Your Freelancing Conference Europe, which actually Jonathan was at. Um, Philip was almost at, but I, he had a sickness in the family. But um, And hopefully, they'll both be there again for the upcoming ones. Anyway, yeah, it's a, it's just, you know, I tried to make it kind of like MicroConf, where the talks are all actionable, very focused, not on like, look at me and my story, but instead, tactical stuff that you can uh, apply to your business. So we've got the Europe Conference in June, and then Happy to announce we are confirmed for uh, end of September for the US conference again.
0: Sounds like fun. And if people want to uh, find any of that stuff, where do they go? WFreelancing.com
1: and then click on events. Uh, it has links to both of the conferences.
0: Awesome. And I'm assuming your uh, road mapping course and all of the other stuff is there available there too?
1: Yeah, that's if you click on. Um, actually, it, what I can set up is I can set up freelancing.com slash, I guess, Freelancer Show with an S. And I'll just have it redirect and also have it apply like a 20% coupon if you want to pick it up. Oh, cool. Appreciate that. I haven't done that yet, so don't don't publish
0: within a few minutes.
1: Uh, <laughs> so think, I'm think, sure you're not.
0: <laughs> yeah, we usually publish a week or so out. So. Yeah, yeah. so I'll get that up. And I did an interview at MicroConf that I was going to publish before this one. So Cool. Perfect. All right. Well, I don't think there's anything else. Uh, anything else that you want to bring up before we wrap up? Not on my end. All right. We'll go ahead and wrap this up. We'll catch you all next week. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by CashFly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with CashFly. Visit dot com to learn more.